0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans 15. Romans 15, that's on page 949 of your pew Bibles. Hear the word of God, Romans 15, beginning with verse 1. We who are strong For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you um, give us your written word, written by holy men who were moved by your spirit uh, to record the very words of God given to us for our edification, our encouragement, for our instruction. And Lord, pray uh, that you would be teaching us this morning and that we would have listening ears, tender, teachable hearts, Father, that we would always be growing in our love for Jesus, growing in our understanding in the depths of your love for us in Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. You know, back in the day, uh, consumers received a hefty owner's manual uh, when they bought a new product. Uh, This manual often included those printed instructions on the front, read this guide uh, before you use uh, the blender, the lawnmower, the sewing machine, the car, the chainsaw. And most of us men said, well, we throw aside the manual and say we'll refer to it when we need it. Uh, Today, consumers, even when we receive a a manual, uh, usually we look up the necessary information online or we'll watch a brief YouTube video and say, okay, I've got it down pat, ready to go. But... We buy these products uh, with the promise that they will make our lives more pleasurable or more productive. But the question for us this morning, where do Christians turn when they need instructions about living lives that are pleasing to God? Uh, We turn to scriptures, all 66 books of the Bible, Oh, and here in, in Romans 15, in these first four uh, brief but beautiful verses, invite you to turn in your Bibles there, follow along. Here we learn that the scriptures graciously instruct every Christian about living to please God. And what must every Christian learn about living to please God? You know, just focusing again here on Romans fifteen, one through 4. You know, we are to be caring, we are to be centering, uh, we are to be clinging. You know, it begins there, Romans 15, you know, one, we are to be caring for the weak Christian. You know, the the context here, um, you know, it's always important with Bible study, you're looking at verses to say what are the... Verses that precede this, what are the verses that follow this, and here in Romans, um, beginning in Romans 12, verse 1, we've been learning about the practice of righteousness. You know, much of Romans is a glorious gospel doctrine, but now uh, we're moving from problem to solution. Here, God's word is guiding us about living out uh, the righteousness of, of Christ. It will conclude at the end of uh, chapter 15 and uh, then just chapter 16 uh, for our study. Uh, remember Romans 14, we we took a few Sundays to go through it. God gave gracious instructions both to strong and weak Christians. Remember that the strong Christians... Uh, presumably were Gentile Christians who could eat old meats with a clear conscience, they could drink wine, they could honor the Lord on old days, but then there were what Scripture calls weak brothers and sisters. Presumably Jewish Christians, recent converts, they still kept the Old Testament dietary laws and the ceremonial days, but God gives instructions here both to strong and weak Christians, so that they, as we read in Romans 14:19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding." But here Romans 15:1 begins by Apostle Paul addresses the strong Christians. Uh, we'll see there are two gracious instructions to the strong christians and two more gracious instructions to the weak christians you know but here romans 15:1 we have an obligation a duty uh, to bear with the failings of the weak note that word we you know here paul god's word is speaking to all christians we he includes himself with the strong you know the church has an obligation we ought to heed god's holy instructions you know just so you get a sense of that word ought hear this first uh, john chapter 4 verse 11 first john 4:11 beloved if god so loved us we also ought to love one another And back to Romans 15.1, we ought to, we have an obligation uh, to bear with the failings of the weak. What does it mean to bear? Uh, Selflessly carry and lovingly endure the infirmities, the faults of the weaker brother as they are growing in their faith and knowledge and love for Jesus. We hear this same truth elsewhere in Scripture. Galatians 6 2. Galatians 6 2. Bear with one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, we're to carry one another's burdens. Not to say, well, that's your problem. You deal with it. I'm doing well. Bear one another's failings. You know, how do we bear with the failings of the weak? You know, we love them with the love of Christ. We teach them the word. We pray with them and for them. A few ways we can bear with the failings of the weak. You know, but a a second instruction to the strong, still in verse 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And now he's going to meddling and now and not to please ourselves. One commentary sums it this way. This is a summing up of the argument of the preceding chapter. If you're wondering what Romans fourteen was about, here it is. We're not to please ourselves. It's not me first. You know, our first priority, as we'll learn, is to please Christ. But then right on the heels of that, our second priority is to please our neighbor. You know, here it's a call for us as Christians, you know, to learn the vital lesson of self-denial for the sake of Christ and his church you know we as, we as christians humbly take the lowly seat at the banqueting table we must learn like the good samaritan to invest our energy and time in gospel care for the hurting and the hopeless ones obligation to bear with the failings of the weak not to please ourselves but then in verse 2 believe it's addressed to all the church let each of us let all of us every one of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. You know, our neighbor. We're commanded in Scripture, Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, who is our neighbor? Our neighbor could be the weak brother. Our neighbor could be the stronger sister in Christ. All those who have professed faith in Christ who worship with us on the Lord's day, bear fruit of their faith in Christ. Let each of us please our neighbor for their good, for their gospel good, for their growth and grace and knowledge and love for Jesus. You know, but part of pleasing our neighbor is is you know, after chapter fourteen, we're going to resist those good things that might cause them to stumble. We refrain from passing judgment on our brother or despising them. Remember Romans 14.10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, we pray, we purposefully pray that the Lord would use us for their growth and grace to build them up. You know, we, we've seen that word a few times here in these chapters. It was there in Romans uh, chapter 14, verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. You know, we're, we're to seek to build up, to encourage, to edify our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, to endure their sinful shortcomings. You know, that's a great temptation. The longer we're a Christian, we mature in the faith, and sometimes we can become proud. I can become proud. Man, why aren't you there yet? You know, why haven't you learned this yet? You know, and here God's word reminds us we are to endure and to edify them. You know, in his weighty and wonderful series of sermons on Romans 15... You know, just on these opening verses, Dr. Jim Boyce, four-volume set of sermons, commend them to you for your reading, pastor, PCA pastor now in glory, but in writing about Romans 15, he references 1 Kings 6, verse 7, 1 Kings 6, verse 7. Let, it, let me read it for us. This is Solomon preparing to build God's temple, 1 Kings 6, 7. When the house, when the temple was built, it was with stone prepared at the quarry, so that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being built. And and hear this from Dr. Boyce, and I quote, Only blocks dressed at the quarry were used to build Solomon's temple. No hammer chisel or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site to my knowledge no other building in history was ever built in this way its construction was so well done it was almost silent silently silently the stones were added and the building rose and then he concludes so it is with the church You know, Christ silently and and sovereignly builds his church. As his word instructs strong believers to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please themselves, the scriptures call every Christian to please their neighbor, to, to build them up in the faith. So the first mark of a Christian who is living that life pleasing to God is We are caring for the weaker Christian. Gracious self-denial. But secondly, verse 3 of Romans 15, we are centering on Christ. Centering on Christ. Hear it again, Romans 15, verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For Christ not himself pleased. You know, it's a quote, direct quote from Psalm 69, verse 9, the latter part of verse 9. As Roger mentioned, it's the third most quoted psalm in the New Testament. After Psalm 22, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 110 psalm sixty nine is quoted four or five times in the New Testament, largely by jesus it, it's a messianic psalm it, it it's a prophecy about Christ, you know but how does romans fifteen three begin For Christ did not please himself, you know Christ, the holy Son of God, Christ. The second person of the Trinity, Christ, who sits on the throne in heaven, Christ. You know, Scripture tells us, Colossians 1, for by him all things were created. You know, with a snap of his fingers, with a whisper, you know, he could have pleased himself. But here, Scripture says Christ did not please himself. You know, quite the opposite. You know what? Think about the life of Christ. Humble incarnation. Sinless obedience. Suffered even before the cross and certainly suffered for our sins on the cross. He died for our sins on the cross. You know, that, that's a, a central gospel message here in Romans. We saw it in Romans 14 verse 9. Romans 14.9, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. You know, Christ did not please himself, but he perfectly pleased his Father by his perfect obedience. John 6, verse 38, John 6, verse 38, Jesus' own words. when Scripture teaches us that Christ did not please himself, why did he do that? He He did it for our sakes, for our redemption, for our salvation. You know, as we look at Romans 15.3, two truths here about Christ. We can see Jesus as the supreme example of sacrificial love. But scripture not only holds up Christ as a model of love, but it's a means and motive uh, for us to love sacrificially and to live a life of self-denying service for the Lord our God. Only a saving faith in Christ can provide us with the gospel power to live a life that is pleasing to God. You know, who are we without Christ? You know, throughout Scripture, but hear this from Isaiah. Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. You know, look that up, what Isaiah is referring to. Filthy rags. You know, Charles Hodge put it this way. Christ's example is constantly held up, not merely as a model, but a motive. You know, if we're torn, how can I live that life pleasing to God? No way I can do it. I'm, uh, I'm a sinner. I'm a failure. I'm a fallen person. You know, Lord, don't set me up for another failure in my life. You know, he, here's Christ as, as the model, but more importantly, the motive us, the power for us to live that life that's honoring and pleasing to God. But look again at, at Romans 15.3, now the direct quote from Psalm 69, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, Psalm of David, You know, but really it's pointing us to Christ You know, what's a reproach? Not a word we use too often. It's a hurtful insult, hateful abuse, wicked words that are designed to disgrace, to belittle, to brutalize, sinful taunts. You know, and here in Psalm 69, you know, the Lord graciously gives us a time-tested theology for living that God-pleasing life. If you go back to Psalm 69, the first part of verse 9, it actually starts for zeal for your house has consumed me. You know, that, that's a verse that's quoted in John chapter 2 when Jesus is cleansing the temple and we we know that God's house is to be a place of holy worship not a place of money changers you know those selling sacrifices for profit you know but Jesus primary passion was not for the purity of Herod's temple this wasn't even Solomon's temple that Jesus cleansed it was Herod's You know, his passion was for the purity of his beloved and blood-bought church. Zeal for your house, zeal for the church, zeal for the body of Christ consumed me. You know, Christ will build his church, build us up as believers, as living stones. We see that same Scriptural image, First Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, 1 Timothy 2, 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, uh, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You know, the reproaches against Christ. You know, we, we heard it this morning. We read it this morning in the Sunday school lesson. You know, Jesus prophesied those reproaches. Mark chapter 10, verse 34. Mark 10, verse 34. Jesus prophesied, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. You know, why did Christ endure those reproaches? For our sake, out of his love for his chosen children. You know, but there's another lesson for us here. If we're living that life pleasing to God, every Christian who is trusting in Christ alone for their salvation who lives by the truth of God's word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and for the glory of God, will suffer persecution and reproach for Christ. Don't be surprised by it. Scripture prophesies it. This point was driven home to me a few years back. I think it might have shared some of this with some of you, but in the fall of 2000, the Lord opened a door for me to uh, make a short-term mission trip to eastern Ukraine to teach at a Bible college there in, in Donetsk, there for two weeks teaching, uh, seven hours a day, uh, a class entitled Bibliob- Bibliology, I'll get it out, don't ask me to spell it. Um, And what is that? A a biblical and a reformed view of scripture. And and these were eager students, hungry to feed upon the word of God. But this story, you know, one of the the Christians I met there in the Ukraine, it wasn't in uh, the class as we were, as I was teaching it, along with a fellow pastor from Missouri but actually met a Christian who had been sent to Siberia. You know, some of you might not be familiar. You know, the old Soviet Union, when you were being punished, uh, not put to death, but you were sent to Siberia, freezing cold, desolate. And uh, he not only survived his time in in Siberia, Endured persecution, bearing reproach for his Christian faith, but he returned. A a joyful witness for Christ, glad to gather with God's saints and, and give God the glory. A Christian whose life centered on Christ. You know, what scriptural lessons have we learned thus far about living that life that's pleasing to God? You know, strong believers please God by caring for the weak Christian with a gracious self-denial. But secondly, every Christian lives a life pleasing to God when they center on Christ and the cross. But but a third truth here in Romans 15, verse 4. We are not only to be caring for the weak Christians centering on Christ, we are to be clinging to the scriptures. That's our gracious hope. Here we learn how the scriptures give us that power, that strength, that hope to live that life that's pleasing to God. You know, we don't follow our fickle emotions, our erratic feelings, our oscillating opinions about living to please God. You know we don't wet our finger, well, will I live that life pleasing to God what feels good today we We turn first to God's word here and if uh romans fifteen four sounds familiar, I had to refresh my memory. It was our year verse uh, for twenty twenty one you know but five brief truths here about the Bible. That we can learn in Romans 15, verse 4, these are adapted from John Stott. I want to give him uh, the credit, uh, made some modifications. You know, the first truth here, there's a purpose to Scripture. Romans 15 4. For whatever was written in former days in earlier times, you know, referring to all of the Old Testament here. It was written for our instruction. You know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God graciously revealed his word to men who wrote it down. You know, God gave us his inspired, inerrant, infallible word for our instruction so that we would learn his will and his ways. Uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism number three. What do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Scriptures are purposeful. Scriptures are personal. They were written for our instruction. You know, for your instruction, for my instruction. To graciously guide us as Christians, to grow us in grace. Third, scriptures point us to Christ. All of scripture points us to Christ. Even Psalm 69, verse 9, points us to Christ, the reproach that Christ endured for us, for our sins, for our sakes there on the cross. Fourth, scriptures are practical. That through endurance and encouragement of, of the scriptures, we learn practical truths about the character of God that we worship. He is a patient God, slow to anger, abundant in his steadfast love. His persevering love preserves us in our walk of faith with Christ. God's word encourages us. And don't we need encouragement today? The, the word there is comfort. It's a word from which we get the Holy Spirit, paraclete. Uh, Jason referred to this in his sermon, our Thursday morning men's study club. I like to call it the Bible breakfast club, uh, 6 a.m. I'm on my second cup of coffee there, so I'll be alert. Uh, but last week's study was based on second john or first john chapter 2 verse 1 first john chapter 2 verse 1 let me quick read this for us first john 2 verse 1 my little children i am writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate or a comforter or a helper with the father jesus christ the righteous one Dane Ortland writes this in that chapter. Jesus is our paraclete, our advocate, our comforting defender, the one nearer than we know. And his heart is such that he stands and speaks in our defense when we sin, not after it you know all of scriptures provide us with with gospel comfort in Jesus Christ our advocate you know practical gospel truth and finally God's word the scriptures provide hope look at that last phrase that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope have present tense Hope now, hope tomorrow, hope until Christ comes again. Salvation hope, steadfast hope. Leon Morris put it this way, a steadfast hope that sustains God's people in the darkest days. A glad and glorious hope of heaven. A sure scriptural hope that strengthens us as we live that life, prayerfully pursue that life, living to please God. Our last hymn this morning is, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. We're not going to sing it yet, but after communion, the close. uh, The writer of the hymn was a preacher by the name of Edward Mote, wrote the hymn back in 1834, He doesn't dwell on it, but he writes that his parents managed a pub, a bar, a public house in London. said that they were so busy managing the bar, running the bar, that Edward often played out in the streets of London all alone. Writing later about his childhood years, Moat wrote, So ignorant was I that I did not know there was a God. You know, by God's grace, he came to saving faith in Christ at the age of 16. The Lord brought him into a church there in London where the gospel was pre- preached and he trusted in Christ for his salvation, later on uh, to become a, a pastor. You know, But listen to that third verse in closing here. Speaking of Christ, our hope in Christ, living that life pleasing to God, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope, my stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. You know, brothers and sisters in Christ, may we, by God's grace and for God's glory, be living those lives that are pleasing to God, to the God who loves us in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, again, and may we always praise and thank you for the sacrificial, self-denying, substitutionary love of God for us in Christ. Christ who endured those reproaches, bore God's holy wrath upon the cross of Calvary. Christ who was our sin bearer. And Christ who fully paid the price for our salvation. All to the glory of God. And Father God, um, pray that as your love and grace continues to fill our hearts, as you instruct us in your word, that we would be living those lives that are pleasing to you, bearing fruit of the gospel, And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.